Baptism is a matter of life and death. Hello everyone, it's Daniel here. I'm glad that you're joining me this Friday morning to steep in the word. We'll be in Romans 6 verses 3 and 4. Last week in verses 1 and 2, we saw that God kills us when he makes us new. He puts to death the old man. And so it is not a matter of what we can or should or must do. It is a matter of what he has done to pay for our sins. And verse 3 and 4 really just help us to paint a picture of what he has done and what our new lives in Christ are now to look like. So let's read verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We need to talk about death and all that it entails. The first part of what death is is temporal or natural, or what is here and now that we can see. A temporal death is the separation of body and soul, and is merely an image of everlasting death. That's Luther's definition. And he says this everlasting death is also twofold. The one is good and glorious. It is death unto sin, or the death of death by which the soul is saved and separated from sin, and also the body is freed from corruption. These are some of my favorite words that Luther has ever written right here. By this death we are bound by grace and glory to the living God. This is the death which Scripture has in mind, first of all. For God has decreed to destroy through Christ what Satan brought into the world through Adam, namely sin and death. I could read Luther on end without stopping, so we'll stop there before I get too excited reading his material. But Luther is full of of this idea of the death of death. All of his works are, are focused on it in the sense that he faced death every day. The condemnation of his sin led him to intellectual suicide. He couldn't think or move without needing to confess all of his sin and all the sin that he might have not noticed that he had committed. He was paralyzed in his life by sin and the death that followed. He calls this death everlasting uh, but absolutely destructive for it is the death of the damned he says. He goes on, here man perishes while sin lives and remains forever and ever throughout eternity. That is the worst death of the sinner. So to rehearse what Luther has said here is there is a temporal death which we can see with our own eyes every time uh, one of our loved ones passes. And then there is the everlasting death. We see the everlasting death when we look into our own souls and see the hopelessness of pursuing our own desires and pursuing other men's thoughts about how the world works. And then there is the everlasting death of death on the cross. 
where Christ put to death sin so that life might abound. The author of life was killed for our life's sake. And so here we turn to the old hymn, Are You Washed in the Blood? Are you baptized? Paul here does not mean uh, if you've been literally dunked, although that is the picture of the cleansing blood of Christ. He's telling us a story here. Have you been plunged into death with Christ? Have you indeed died to your old life? Have you put to death your old ways? Verse 2, of course, says, By no means can we live in sin so that grace may abound. How can we who died to sin still live in it? There is no way. If we've been baptized into Christ Jesus, we're buried in his death. We have died to ourselves. There is no longer any part of our sin that remains because it has been killed and punished on the cross. So there is the baptism that happened on the cross. Our life was hid in Christ. And he is our life. So when he appears, our life will be revealed. Though now we are facing death constantly, we will see our life when Christ comes for his own. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We need to address two parts of baptism. There is the theological baptism here that we see happening on the cross. We are uh, put to death with Christ, as it were, and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Baptism literally as a washing. Here we are washed of our sins and our death by Christ's blood, the purest substance on earth, able to make us white as snow. And then there is something called the mode of baptism, and it is the rite that pictures our cleansing. There are many different beliefs on this, but they all point to the fact that Christ has cleansed us and brought us into the family of God. It might be helpful to do a brief history of of what baptism has looked like in the church. So, uh, baptism, uh, we can see in Acts Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch in a a river on his way. Uh, The Philippian jailer is baptized, he and his household. Uh, There are many other people who are are baptized and confess Christ as their Lord, and they are picturing to people what God has done for them in his son's death on the cross. Many came to see that uh, baptism was a picture of, of renewal and cleansing, and as they read accounts of the, uh, the baptism of John, they realized that Jesus' baptism was the powerful one, the one that was effectual and cleansed them from their sin. Many became fearful that if they were baptized at a young age and fell into sin, that they would have to be rebaptized, and God could not recognize it as a valid baptism because they had sullied their clean life with sin. So many, uh, like Augustine's father, uh, were not baptized until their deathbed. Uh, Augustine himself was baptized later in life with his son. 
Many waited until the last moment when they would be sure that they would no longer sin outwardly and need another cleansing. Others uh, became fearful that uh, if there was someone who was unbaptized and perished before they could be baptized, uh, they they would go to hell. And so many began to baptize infants. And they also saw the argument uh, from Scripture that baptism is a lot like circumcision. And you call them into the family of God at eight days. It is a covenantal recognition of God's relationship with man through baptism. The church has not had a universal accord on baptism. But the whole picture of baptism in all Orthodox faith has been the same. Christ died for us and cleansed our bodies and our souls from sin. It's the picture that we get in Ezekiel. He gives us new hearts. He takes out the heart of stone and puts in a, a heart of flesh that can feel and worship God wholly and truly. So there's nothing to be feared if you become a Christian in the middle of a desert and there's no water to be found. There is nothing to be feared uh, if you are a Christian who was baptized 30 years ago and you have committed sin. The picture of baptism is a proclamation and an announcement of what Christ has done for you in your life. It is saying to the other people of God who who follow him and and others who, who might see it and not know what it means, it is a proclamation to them of the gospel. We are buried with Christ. You can't breathe underwater. You are put to death, and you are brought to life and risen from the dead as a new, clean human being. My kids need baths all the time, but baptism is not just a bath. Matter of fact, when I was baptized, I was baptized in a stock tank after many other people had been baptized, and it was disgusting water. Naaman, uh, the a king who was a Gentile, who had leprosy, was reluctant to wash seven times in the Jordan River because it was muddy. But when he washed seven times, he was cleansed from his leprosy for the rest of his life. The water isn't what is magical. It is the proclamation of Christ's death over your soul that makes you clean. There is nothing you can do to undo it. If you confess Christ and you follow him, there's nothing that can snatch you away from his grasp. You are clean forever because his blood is what cleans you. It is the word of God that makes you new and calls you forth out of the grave like Lazarus was called forth. Baptism is not an action, but an act. It is a play. It shows what Christ has done for you. It is not a work but it is the working out of what Christ did for us. So to conclude with Paul's argument here, we should not continue to sin so that grace may abound. But we, first of all, we must be baptized by him. We must trust his arms as he lowers us into the water and shakes off our old selves and puts to death our sin and our old desires. And as we rise up out of the water, as he pulls us to the shore, as we take that first gulp of new air, fresh air, in our new lungs, 
We should follow him. We should walk in our newness of life, knowing that it is his life. One of the hymns that keeps coming to mind in passages like this is, Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, those distractions, will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's reminiscent of the line I read by Luther earlier. By this death, we are bound by grace and glory to the living God. God, you are a living God. How wonderful it is to walk in newness of life, and that life is yours. Let us relish that, savor that, and appreciate the word that you spoke that made that happen. Thank you for baptism and making us new. Thank you for killing the old man that wanted nothing but death and sin. Thank you for breathing into our lungs the breath of life. As you created Adam, so you have recreated us in the life of Christ. Let us turn now in praise and worship, in pursuit of you, and in pursuit of your holiness, for your sake. Amen.